Well, again, just for your information, next Wednesday evening will be our last uh, Wednesday evening service for the summer. We'll pick it up again in the fall. Um, also, <clears throat> in case you didn't see it, Mary Evelsizer went home uh, to be with the Lord, and uh, so her funeral is going to be at Slinninger Schroeder Funeral Home tomorrow at uh, 1.30. So uh, if you remember Mary, and a lot of you probably don't even remember who that was, but um, she and her husband, Jerry, pastored for many years. It's, it's Joel, Joe Jewel Johnson, it's her brother, and pastored for many years in uh, Dexter and then over in train, um, Toledo one of those towns over there. And then for several years, he uh, filled in after he retired for some time over in Grand Junction as well. But anyway, Jerry and Mary were a part of the church here for a few years, and so, um, so there's gonna be a celebration of her life tomorrow. So um, make note of that. So we're gonna continue our uh, series tonight, um, The Believer's Authority. It's going to work out real good because next week will be the 10th session and, and 10 is always a good round number to quit a series on and so that's what we'll be doing. So we'll be finishing up next week. But we're talking about the believers in authority and how important it is uh, for us to have an understanding of that. And uh, I think oftentimes um, it's one of those subjects that we make mention of but we don't really um, take the time to realize the authority that we really have in the name of Jesus and through the Word of God and how important and how, how significant it really is. Because one of the things that <clears throat> understanding believers' authority really reveals to us is that, um, you know, for us to live the victorious life, uh, it really isn't dependent upon God, upon Jesus, because He's done it all. It's, it's dependent upon us and taking the authority that's been invested in us, that we um, use the graces and the gifts that have been made available to us, and that we, we, be, we begin to walk in it. <clears throat> Notice our opening verse in John 8, 32, and it says, And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. And so you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. But it isn't just simply truth that'll set you free. It's the truth that you know that'll set you free. And so um, the truth, um, the reality of God's Word can be available to us. But if we're, not if we're not aware of it, we'll never apply it, we'll never implement it in our life. And so even though all victory is available to us, um, we may not walk in it. You know, I've shared several times how growing up in the church that I grew up in, I was there every Sunday for practically for 24 years of my life. But I never knew the truth. And the truth was, you must be born again. He that believes in his heart and confesses with his mouth, Jesus is Lord, shall be saved. And so even though that truth was there, all of that time, I didn't see the truth or I didn't know that truth. And so I didn't apply that truth. And so once I became aware of the truth, um, I was able to experience it and implement it in my life. And so we need to know that truth. Uh, and we need to know the truth because, you know, if we, if we believe for something, I've got it in your notes and either it says, if you start asking God for cancer, believing he is the source of it, It'll come your way. But you know what? God will have absolutely nothing to do with it. You know, I, I've seen people over the years that have believed so strongly uh, that they had an ailment in their life. And even though uh, doctors and medicine told them they didn't have that problem, they continued to believe it. And they believed it long enough that they experienced it in their life. And, uh, and then they'll wonder why God brought that on them, and God had absolutely nothing to do with it. And that's why it's so important for us to know the truth, because when we know the truth, we know what is a 
a product of God and what is the result of the, the destroyer, the enemy, who wants to bring death and destruction into each of our lives. So in 2 Corinthians, the 11th chapter, in the 14th verse, and it says, And no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into the angel of light. And so, you know, and we're talking about a little bit today. Uh, the day that we're in, you know, I remember years and years back, Pastor Becky had a, had a word, and, and she says, we're, we're on the verge of, of seeing, experiencing that which is good called evil and that which is evil called good. And uh, we're not on the verge of it anymore. We're, we're right in the midst of it. And, and it's a biblical principle as well. She just didn't know it at that time. You know, but it, it is a biblical principle, but we see it, we see it all around us. And, and, and the, the result of that, the reason for that is uh, there's an angel of, that, uh, of light. He disguises himself as an angel of light. It's known as a devil. And he makes things appear to be good, or he makes things to appear to be of God. And God has absolutely nothing to do with it. And that's why we've got to know the truth. We've got to know what the Word of God says, because it's in knowing the truth that we eventually experience the freedom that's really available to us. Because when we know the truth, and the doctor gives us the evil report, the negative report, that there's something wrong with us, we immediately rise up to it when we know the truth and say, you know, we may not say it out loud, but within ourselves we say, no, 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 not in the, in the name of Jesus, no, because by the stripes of, of Jesus I've been healed. And so cancer, heart disease, whatever it is, it has no place in me because I'm the redeemed of the Lord and through the blood of Jesus Christ, I've been set free. But we've got to be able to recognize the difference. And the only way we're going to recognize the difference is, is through the Word of God. James 1, 7, it says, For let the man suppose that he will receive, <clears throat> for let not that man suppose that he'll receive anything from God. And it's talking about when we're not praying in line with the Word of God. We're not going to receive anything from God. But let me just reiterate the fact. But if we believe something long enough, we may see the manifestation of it in our lives and we may attribute it to God, but God has absolutely nothing to do with it. You know, somebody that lives in poverty and comes to the conclusion that I, I guess, you know, riches was just not God's will for me. No, it's your poor money management. And it has absolutely nothing to do with God. And if we begin to practice the principles that God's given us, and so, so that you can learn all about that this fall, Terry and Jody will be having another uh, Peace University, so you can learn all about those principles and apply them in your life so that you <clears throat> don't attribute to the, to the devil the things, uh, I mean to God, the things that the devil is trying to bring into your life. So God himself will not violate. This is really important for us to understand this because this is why understanding our authority is so important. God will not violate man's free will. Do you realize that you have every right to go to hell if you want to? Now I happen to think you're pretty stupid if you do. <laughs> Should we just be blunt tonight? <laughs> but see, that's our free will. We can choose not to receive the completed works of Jesus. That's our choice. That's our free will. We see people all the time, they, they, they choose some other dead religion that has a dead savior, that has no savior because he's dead, but yet they'll choose that religion because it seems to be popular. I see it all the time in the prisons. I see guys going to these meetings for this stupid stuff, but they think it's cool. Let me tell you something. Don't let your belief be, be the product of you being cool. Let it be because it's the truth and the reality and because of what, of what it's going to produce in your life. Listen, there was a few years there where it was kind of, I, I know it's probably a different term today, but I'm from the 60s, so I don't know. 
you know, it was, you know, if I was really going to bring in the 60s, I'd say it would be groovy. But, you know, I'm not going to lower myself to that point. You know, <clears throat> but, you know, there was a period of time where it was kind of cool to be a Christian. You saw it in politics. You saw it in Hollywood. You saw it with athletes. But you know what? It's not so cool anymore. There's still people that are speaking out. But they've seen the consequences of it. They, they, they've seen what happened to, what's his name, Thibault, how do you pronounce his name? Thibault and others. They've seen the consequences for your faith because the attacks that have come upon him has not been because of his ability or lack thereof to play football. It's been, been because of his position, uh, Christian positions. And so let me tell you something. It isn't, it isn't as cool to be a Christian as it once was. And so don't let the the coolness gauge be the determination as to whether or not you're going to serve God. Let it be faith. Let it be the truth and the reality of the Word of God. And so he's never going to violate your will. <clears throat> Turn with me if you got your Bibles or just look in your notes. I, in fact, I don't know if I left it in notes. I think I was running out of room and so I deleted a bunch of the Scripture passages. Not the passages, just the, the ones written, just the write out. But in, in Mark, the sixth chapter, in the second verse, it says, And when the Sabbath had come, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many hearing him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? And what wisdom is this which is given to him, that such might, mighty works are performed by his hands? <clears throat> is this not the carpenter? the son of Mary, the brother of James, Joas, Judas, and Simon, and are not his sisters here with us? And so they were offended at him. Who, who do they think they are? Do you, know, do you know how rotten that individual was? Who does he think he is that he's going to stand up there and, and, and begin to preach at me. I, I could just, I, you know, I can just imagine my old schoolmates. You know, saw a few of them this summer when, last summer when he had our 50th uh, class reunion. But you know what their comment would have been is, who does he think he is? He was just as bad, if not worse, than others. Well, but you see, it isn't determined by that. And so when we begin to listen to what people say, it can begin to have an effect upon what we believe about ourselves, about the choices that we begin to make, about the choices that we think are available to us. You know, in, in the reading on a little bit, we begin to see that uh, even though Jesus performed mighty works, people didn't believe. Let's go on to the fourth verse there in Mark 6. And it says, And Jesus said to them, A prophet is without honor except in his own country, among his own relatives, and in his own house. Now he could do, he could do no mighty works there, except he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And uh, <clears throat> in the Greek translation there, where it says at the end, a few sick folk, what that, what that is saying is a few minor ailments. And so, because they didn't believe, Jesus wanted to heal. Because that's where he, what he did every place he went. Jesus wanted to heal. But you know what? He couldn't override their will. He couldn't override their decisions. And you know what? We see it all the time with people where uh, they refuse to receive what's been made available to them. A couple of weeks ago, I shared the testimony about Brother Hagen one time. He was in a service, and there were several people in wheelchairs, and he started to go down the line and began to pray for people, and they were, they were just popping out of those wheelchairs. And he came to the last one, and he starts praying for her, and he, he said, literally, she began to rise up out of the wheelchair and she reached down and grabbed the arms and pulled herself back down. And he said, he spoke to her and he says, God wants to heal you. And she says, I don't want to be healed. 
She says, I've been serving people all my life. And finally, now somebody's got to serve me. I don't want to be healed. You know what? When we see that God isn't manifesting in the way that we think he should in somebody's life and in a situation, we don't always know the circumstances that are around it. Oftentimes, we're quick to condemn God and say, why doesn't God do something about that? But we don't know what's going on in that individual's life because they may be holding on to the arms and they're not about to let go. Whatever the problem is in their life, maybe, well, no maybe about it, God wants to set them free, but maybe they don't want to let loose of it. You see, a lot more of it depends upon us than what people want to give God credit for. You know, because if it depends on me, then I have to be responsible. I'd much rather believe in predestination. If, it, if God predestined me to be healed, I'll be healed. If God predestined me to live out my life in suffering, I'll suffer for Jesus. That's a bunch of stuff. And it's not true. But see, when we begin to realize what he's done for us, at, 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 a, at a certain point, we have to begin to take responsibility. Like that morning in Vern Lewis's house when they shared the gospel with me and I heard the gospel for the first time. And I heard in scripture that I was a sinner in the need of a savior. I was now responsible. What was I going to do about that? And it demanded an action on my part. And I prayed and I received Jesus as my Lord and Savior. When we come to the realization of a truth in God's word, it demands an action on our part. Because if we don't act, faith without works, faith without corresponding action, as it says in the American Standard, New American Standard, faith without corresponding action is dead. In other words, faith that doesn't have an action will produce absolutely nothing. And so I can say I have faith, but if there isn't any action, what am I really showing? What am I really demonstrating? What am I really doing? I can call it faith, but is it really faith? Now, this isn't a faith teaching tonight, but you know what? Faith is involved in every aspect of our lives because that's how we apply the Word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And so every time we hear the Word of God, in faith, something rises up on the inside of us. That's faith. And that faith demands an action on our part. We need to do something with it. You know, we need to be activists where the Word of God is concerned. And so when we hear something, it ought to produce something. It ought to produce an action in our life. If it doesn't motivate us to move, then it isn't really faith. It's just new knowledge. New knowledge that I'm not going to do anything with. I enjoy knowledge. I, 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 I really enjoy learning. But you know what? A lot of it, you know, especially, especially history. I mean, history repeats itself, so you can always, you can always learn stuff from it. You know, but, but a lot of the stuff that I read, there, there's really not a, any action that I can put into it because it's secular. I mean, I'm, I, I'm reading the life of Reagan once again. And uh, I, I love the man, I love the principles and so forth. But you know what, it's not, it's not Bible. It's not like I can just take and apply it in faith in my life. But I can tell you something else. Every time I read the word of God and I see a principle, I see a truth, I can do something about it. I can act upon it because I can speak out what it has to say. <clears throat> just as Jesus could do, could do no mighty works in his own hometown, unbelief, prevents God from doing what he wants to do in our lives. Unbelief will hinder us. Unbelief will prevent us from acting upon God's word. Matthew 13, verse 35. That it might be fulfilled what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables I will utter things kept secret from the foundation of the world. And that was 36, and it was a really nice verse, but I want to drop down to 58 
because it might make a little more sense in the context of the teaching that we're going through right now. But in Matthew 13, 58, it says, And he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. Because of their unbelief. You know, <clears throat> many years ago, you know, I, I began to get a hold of the Word of Faith message and, and the truth and reality of the Word of God. And uh, I came to the conclusion, nothing, absolutely nothing is impossible with God. Nothing can stop the Word of God from producing in my life. But then I ran across a scripture passage and it totally staggered me for a moment. And it said, the traditions of man causes the word of God to be ineffective. The traditions of man causes the word of God to be ineffective. How can that be? Because many of the traditions of man go all contrary to the Word of God. And you know what that is? That's unbelief. When we choose to believe tradition more than we believe the truth and the reality of the Word of God, it causes the Word to be ineffective. And you say, well, Pastor, nobody would do that. Oh, yes, they do. There's scores of churches, not just talking about individuals, I'm talking about churches that deny the born-again experience. They say because you were, you were born in the church, because you were baptized in the church, because you were raised in the church, everything's hunky-dory for you. But that's not what the Bible says. You know, I became a, a immersion after conversion baptizer studying the word for myself. Because I could find no evidence in the word that each and every individual at some point in time in their life for themselves did not have to receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Unless they never reached the age of accountability. You know, so that would be talking about a child. Um, I believe that there are uh, adult children that mentally were never able to mature to the extent to be able to understand and comprehend the gospel. And so I believe that those individuals never reached that, that accountability because they were not able to get to that point. They were not able to discern good from evil. Why, why have you come to that conclusion? Why am I sure in that? Because... <clears throat> You know, there's certain things that I had to, had to settle in my own thinking concerning this. Because I, I've, I've seen people in institutions that, you know, never matured to the point intellectually where they would be able to discern and understand um, the Word of God. You know, I, I mean, you, it's, it's harder to find today, but, you know, I remember one of our school outings from Sioux Valley, Minnesota, when I was in, in school in the early 60s, one of our outings was to go to uh, when they still had the, uh, the hospital in Cherokee, the mental hospital. And we went down to that and toured that institution. We saw people there that were, you know, 40, 50 years old, but they were as a child in their thought life. And so when I got born again and I came to the conclusion that of the age of accountability, you know, so what happens to these individuals? Well, they never, they never got there. Because it isn't determined by physical age. And so anyway, that's what I believe. If you don't believe it, well, study it out for yourself and come to your own conclusion. But that's the conclusion that I've come to according to the Word of God because there's one thing that I know about my God. He desires all to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. And because the, son, the devil attacked a child that his, his brain was never able to mature, I don't believe that that child is going to be condemned because of it. But that's 
That's just me. Praise the Lord. And so unbelief will keep us from receiving. And, and you know what? When I first got saved and I'm studying the Word of God and I'm seeing truth, you know, when I first saw healing in the Bible, I didn't just immediately receive it because I had been taught that God placed diseases on you to teach you something or, you know, to, to humble you or whatever it may be. And so I had to come to the realization and study the Word of God for myself to get that out of my mind. You know, I, I've, I've said this, I think I said it a couple of weeks ago. Faith is easy. When I began to get a hold of the Word of Faith message, I realized this is easy. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. If I will hear the Word of God, faith will rise up in my life. The problem is unlearning everything that I'd learned about faith in the past that was wrong. And that's what we have. We have churches that are full of people that have learned a bunch of junk that goes contrary to the Word of God. And so then when they begin to hear the Word of God, their initial response is to reject it because that's not what they've heard in the past. And that's why we've got to hear it over and over. That's why we've got to take this word and meditate on it and get it down on the inside of us so that it becomes alive and that word will drive out that unbelief. But you know what? If we just hear it one time, we'll walk away. We'll think those abundant life people are just a bunch of wackos. Do you know what they believe? They believe that through the Holy Ghost, you can pray in a language you don't understand. <laughs> Do you believe that? Yeah. Why? Because the Word says so. You know, they believe that if somebody's sick with cancer, with heart disease, whatever it may be, you know that crazy preacher believes that he can lay hands on them and they'll be made well. Yeah, we believe that. Not just the preacher, but every believer has that authority in the name of Jesus. But unbelief, traditions of man, worldly thought, demonic inspired thoughts, will keep you from walking in the truth. Galatians 6, 7, and 8 says, do not be deceived. Why does he tell us not to be deceived? So he won't be deceived. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that's what he's going to reap. For he who sows to the flesh will of the flesh reap corruption and he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap eternal or everlasting life. And so what does that say? That says to me, whatever I sow to, whatever I yield to, whatever I give place to in my life, it will produce in my life. If I confess long enough that I'm going to get sick, I'm going to get sick. Because that confession is going to open the door, it's going to open the gates, and all hell is going to break loose in my life. If I confess that I cannot take a, get, a, get, get a handle in a, on something in a, in, in a certain area of my life, and I continue to speak that out, it's going to take dominance of my life. It's going to control me. Whatever I sow, that's what I'm going to reap. That's why we need to watch the words that come out of this mouth. But you know, <clears throat> we, we went through a period of time where, where positive confession almost got to an extreme, you know, where you couldn't even communicate with one another. But you know what? In so much of the church, we've gone back the other direction now, where, where anything goes. We need, to, we need to watch the words that come out of our mouth the words that we speak to other individuals, the words that we talk about ourselves, the words that we say about the circumstances. The safest thing that you can do is, is say what the Word says. 
rather than talk about your problems, declare that I'm a brand new creation in Christ Jesus. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. I am the righteousness of God in Christ and no weapon, no weapon that the enemy has formed against me is going to prosper for the greater one lives on the inside of me. Now, I didn't give you chapter and verse on anything there, but every one of those that, that, of those elements that I just spoke to you was the Word of God. And you know what? It needs, it needs to flow out of you like that. Just like we can complain about a circumstance, we don't have to think about it. It just flows out of us. Amen? Don't shout me down now just because it's the truth. I mean, it'll just flow out of us. But you know what? That's what the Word of God ought to do. It ought to just flow out of us no matter what the circumstances that comes up against us. James 2.17 Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. I don't want to have dead faith. I want to have a live faith. I want to have productive faith. I want it to be producing something. And it's going to do that. God has given us a choice. You know, I, it, it's so easy to think, why did God give Adam a choice? Why did he even place that tree there? Why didn't he just take it out of there and just say, you can eat all of, all, of all the fruit? Because he wouldn't have been a free will agent. He wouldn't have had a choice. And you and I today would be nothing more than a bunch of robots if we didn't have a choice. But we, don't have, we do have a choice. You know, that, that's a difficult thing in raising kids because they have a free will. And so we, we train them the best we can, but you know, at a certain point, they have to begin to make choices for themselves. Because if they don't, they will never mature, they will never be the, the adult that they're supposed to be. Remember when Jeff went to Ramah, or, or no, he was actually at Oral Roberts, and grew up in a preacher's home, you know, all but for the first six years of his life or something like that. But, but here he is, a preacher's kid, and he goes to Oral Roberts, a Christian university. And all, you know, Christian university, but all the temptations, everything is there. And he came home and he says, you know, I had to decide something for myself. I had to decide whether I, I, I chose to believe this gospel for myself that it wasn't just because my mom and dad believed it. And you see, that's how it is for, for everything that we see in the Word of God. Every one of us have to believe it for yourself. You can't believe in healing because I believe in it. You've got to choose to believe it for yourself. You can't believe in prosperity because I believe in it. You've got to believe in prosperity for yourself. And so when you believe it for yourself, you begin to speak it out of your own mouth and declare it for yourself and over yourself. And so he's given us the choice. And so we, we have to make those decisions. You know, Proverbs 23, 7, it's a passage we hear a lot. You know, it says, for as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So what do you think on? What do you dwell on? You know, Romans 12, <clears throat> uh, the second verse, it tells us that we're to renew our minds by the Word of God, and that's how we change what we think, how we think. You know, <clears throat> a lot of us, we, we may have grown up having very negative thoughts about ourselves. But you know what? We need to change how we think about ourselves and how we think about others and how we think about certain circumstances in our life. The way that we do that is, is through the Word of God. You know, I'm melancholy. And so that means that I, you know, I, I, I think everything. I never stop thinking about stuff. I'm thinking it over and over and over again. And because of that thinking process, when I was young, <clears throat> I saw myself as inferior. I saw myself as stupid. I saw myself as a non-achiever. 
And I thought, there's no way I'm ever going to overcome this. But the only way I was ever able to overcome it is by taking a hold of the Word of God, reading the Word of God, seeing the truth in the Word of God, beginning to believe the Word that's in the Word of God, and begin to declare it. And that's why <clears throat> earlier when I spewed out that little declaration of who we are in Christ Jesus, the reason I was able to do that so easily is because it's so much a part of my life because I live every day dependent upon those scriptures declaring who I am in Christ Jesus because if I don't, if I allow my mind to wander, I'll go back to my old way of thinking and you'll find me curled up in my living room watching a football game hoping that nobody comes in and talks to me because I have absolutely nothing of any significance and importance to say to anybody. But let me tell you something, because of Christ Jesus, I have something to say. And it's significant and it's important because it's not based on my life, it's not based on me, it's based on a person by the name of Jesus and what he's done for us and what he's provided for us through his word. And so it's very important as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. If you're still having difficulty thinking rightly about yourself and thinking rightly about yourself is thinking about yourself as the, word of, as the way the word of God speaks of you. What that says then is you need to spend more time meditating on what the word of God says about you and declaring it. Romans 8, 6, it says, for to the carnally minded, for to be carnally minded, fleshly minded, for to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. To be carnally minded, to, to allow the physical to dominate your life, to dominate your thoughts, says right here, it's gonna to lead to death. And that doesn't necessarily mean physical death, that you're physically gonna die, although all of us will eventually get there. You might get there quicker <laughs> than you otherwise would, but you'll experience areas of death. Let me tell you something. <clears throat> if you lose peace, Death is ruling in your life. Because to be void of peace is death. It's turmoil. It's torture. To not have joy in your life is death. The enemy wants to come in and he wants to make you feel so insecure and so inferior that <clears throat> you think every, you, you, you feel like everybody else is unapproachable. But what that does to you, it makes you unapproachable. And so when you're unapproachable, that means that nobody is able to speak into your life. And that's death. Death of relationships. Because every one of us, we need people speaking into our lives. We need positive people speaking into our lives. We need people speaking in our lives that are going to edify and lift us up. I mean, the world is full of negativity. You don't have to search for that. That'll just come oozing through the walls. But you need to seek out people that'll speak into your life and they'll speak positive. They'll speak and declare what the Word of God says about you. And we need that on a continual basis. Isaiah 26.3, it says, You'll, he, it's not supposed to be dip, it's supposed to be keep. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind, whose mind? Whose mind is stayed on you, on thee. What does your mind stay on? What does your mind dwell on? You want peace? You want perfect peace? It's going to be stayed. It's going to, we're going to keep it on God. You want to lose it? Just get it on the things of the world? Just watch the news. That'll do it. I mean, all you had to do is watch the weather tonight and that'd depress you. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Second Peter 1, 2, I think we read this last week. I just love this passage. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord. In the knowledge of Him. Grace and peace 
is multiplied unto us in the knowledge of him. What's that? That's the word of God. The more of the word of God we have in our lives, the more peace we're going to have. As we keep our minds stayed or upon the Lord, the peace of God will keep our hearts and our minds. You know, it's, uh, it's not a matter of me trying to keep it. It's a matter of what am I dwelling on? Because if I'll dwell on the right things, it'll keep my heart and mind. But the moment I allow my mind to wander, to dwell on these other things, those things will begin to dominate and they'll begin to control my life. Philippians 4, the fourth chapter. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. Always. Always. You know, I remember in the early days of the charismatic renewal, um, there, was a, there was a book out. And, and I mean, this guy had some tremendous writings. Uh, but the one book was, I don't remember the exact title, but it was something like Rejoice in Everything. And so basically the, the thrust of the book was for everything that happens in your life, you need to rejoice in it. You need to be joyful in it. You know, if you go broke, rejoice. If a loved one dies, rejoice. And that's not what he's saying here. That, that's, a, that's, a, that's a false interpretation. He's saying rejoice in every situation. Why are we able to rejoice in every situation? Paul and Silas were in prison. It was a filthy, dirty, damp, dark, smelly place, this prison that they were in. And here they are in the dark of night. And what they do? They rejoiced. It says that they were singing hymns. And they were singing it loud enough that all the prisoners were listening. Why would they do that? Were they saying, oh, thank you, God, that we're in prison. Oh, we're so thankful we're in prison. Thank you for these chains that are upon our wrists and our ankles. Father God, we thank you. No. They were saying, thank you, Father, that in every circumstance, in every situation in life, we can put our trust, our confidence completely in you. And Father, we don't know how, but we know that you're our deliverer. And here we are in this prison, here we are in this situation, but we're not moved by these circumstances because we know that you are the deliverer and we know that you will deliver us. And so we thank you and we give you praise and honor and glory in the name of Jesus. And so every circumstance that you encounter, that's how we approach it. When I was in Sao Paulo, Brazil, right in the back seat of that taxi with that guy that only spoke Portuguese and I was supposed to be at the hotel in five minutes and we're 20 minutes later and driving around and I'm seeing parts of Sao Paulo, Brazil I don't want to see and, and I can feel the fear rising up on the inside of me. And I said, no, Father, you've not given me a spirit of fear but of power and of love and a sound mind and I believe that you've called me and because you've called me, I'm in Sao Paulo, Brazil so that I can get to this other city so that I can preach in this Bible school. And so, Father, I'm just going to sit back and I'm going to enjoy the ride and I'm going to trust you completely. And so I thank you for this opportunity that I have to see parts of Sao Paulo's Brazil. I am confident that no other white American has ever seen. Now, the first chance I got to get into a hotel, I got into the hotel. But you know what? If I hadn't done that, they would have had to clean out the back of that car because fear was rising up big time. Either that or that which I feared the most would have come upon me because it would have measured up to my expectation because I remember my first thought. Nobody from America is ever going to see this little old fat white boy again. And if I would have allowed that to dominate my thought, I don't know where I would be.
Thank God I don't have to find out. But what I do know is in every situation we can put our trust and our confidence in Him. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing. Do you know what nothing there means? Nothing. That means we don't have to be anxious about everything. Well, Pastor, you don't know whether the circumstances in my life right now. Don't be anxious about it. Do what has to be done about it. You know, because we don't stick our head in the sand. Faith doesn't mean that you stick your head in the sand and ignore everything that's going on around with it. You deal with it. But you don't get anxious about it. You don't worry about it. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything. By prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God and the peace of God. When we do this, if we will do this, he says, and the peace of God, which surpasses understanding. You know what that means? That means you can't figure it out. Why do I have peace? I really shouldn't have peace. You ever been in that place where you're going through a difficult time and you look back on it and you think, why in the world did I have peace? I should have been so upset. I should have been wor so worried. I should have been at my wit's end. But I wasn't. Why was that? But you look back and you see the reason for it was, was you put your trust and your confidence in God. And you had a peace that surpasses your ability to be able to understand it. And this peace that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. It'll guard your heart and your mind. When we dwell upon the Word of God, it's a shield. And it guards, it protects our hearts and our minds from everything that the enemy is trying to bombard us with. Finally, brethren, in other words, when you've done this, finally, brethren, whatever things are true, thy word is truth. Whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue, if there is anything praiseworthy, if you can find anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Think on these things. The things which you've learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do. And the God of peace will be with you. You know, remember what I believe he is speaking to the church. Was it in the church of Galatia? I think it was. He said, be imitators of me. Paul said, imitate what I do. But he didn't, he didn't just say that. He said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And so, when you see somebody and they have these Christ-like attributes in their life. And you can see that they're a follower of Jesus. And there's areas that you're struggling with that you see they have victory over. Imitate them. You know, I, I've, I've, over the year, I've, years I've done a lot of marriage counseling and one of the things that I've discovered is generally speaking, people with bad marriages hang out with people with bad marriages. And so you know what happens? They glean from one another. And so what's the answer? If you see areas in your marriage that need to improve, you find somebody with a successful marriage that has victory in those areas that you're struggling with, and you say, can we hang out with you? 
I'm not saying have them sit down and teach you. No, have it rub off on you. Dr. Cole, oh, he said this statement. He said, there's more in life. Now, how do you say it? There's more in life that's caught than taught. You can have somebody teach you something, and you can learn the principle. But let me tell you something. When you're, when you're around somebody that's doing it, it begins to rub off on you. It's kind of like going to plumber's school. When I was in, in, in trade school to learn to be a plumber, I learned all the formulas for all the angles. You know, 1.431 or something like that was the formula for a, for a right angle. And so if you've, you've got a pipe here and you've got a pipe here and it's, a, you know, it's at that angle, you know, and it's 45 degree angle, you use this formula, you know, you measure here and you measure there and, and you use this formula. But you know, and I got on the job and first time we ran into something like that, my boss takes out his tape measure and he goes like this. And he's got it in three seconds. What it took me, taken me, you know, 15 minutes. Guess what? You'd rather have the 30 seconds. But see, you can, I caught it. And so in, in, in my plumbing, most of what I did as a plumber, I didn't learn in the year that is in trade school. I learned it in the years that is on the job watching other plumbers who are more experienced than me. And I followed what they did. Now that's just plumbing. But you know what? That's how it works in every area of our life. You know, I went through, through COC. You know, I often said if I had it to do over again, I'd find a pastor that had a ministry like I would want my ministry to be. And I'd say, you've got me for two years. Teach me everything you know. Because after all, that's what Jesus did. It's what Paul did with Timothy and Silas and others. They traveled with him and he taught them everything that he knew. Mercy. Let's all lift up our voices and rejoice because it's absolutely impossible. You know, I literally have pages that you all get to study. You know what's so exciting about this? You know, next week you have lesson number 10. And so for the whole summer, you have so much material to study and look up because I haven't presented a tenth of what I have in my notes. And so, uh, and so you wonder, well, Pastor, why didn't you teach longer? You realize that would have required a hundred lessons. And so that would be how many years on the same subject? And you would have been as bored as I would have been. Psalms 107, verse 20, he sent his word and healed them and delivered them from destruction. God sent you and me his word. Why? So that we might use his word, so that we might be healed, and so that we might be delivered from destruction. You see an area in your life, doesn't matter how large or how small it is, but it can be interpreted as destruction because it isn't producing the level of life that you deserve. The word applies. And so we don't just speak whatever over it. We speak the word to it. And that's, that's the crux of this whole believer's authority teaching is the fact that, you know, because some people have taught spiritual authority that <clears throat> we demand God. You know, I, I mean, even in the early stages of the faith teachings, when I would hear people and, and they would pray and they'd say, God, you've got to do this. Well, I hate to blow you away, but God is God. 
And God doesn't have to do nothing. But what he's done is he's revealed his will to us through his word and he's given us authority to declare and use his word so we don't, we don't demand God to do anything. What we do is we demand the devil, the flesh, the world to line up with what God's word declares belongs to me. And so healing belongs to you. And you declare, you demand sickness and disease to get out of the way. I had this revelation. They're, they're still talking downstairs, and so I can still talk. You know, when I hear the pitter-patter of jumbo feet, then we'll quit. But, but Deuteronomy 28, when you, when you get to about, I think it's the, is it the, tw- the 15th verse? And from there on, it, it speaks of the curse. The Bible says we've been redeemed from the curse. And then the, the first verses, I think it's the first 14 verses of the chapter, talks about the blessings of Abraham. We've been redeemed from the curse, but we've not been redeemed from the blessing. That the blessings of Abraham might come upon the Gentile. And so I'm, looking, I'm reading these first 14 verses and I, and I begin to realize something. Those first first 14 verses say nothing about healing. But from the 15th verse to the end, it talks about all these sickness and disease and even the ones that aren't mentioned, all the diseases of Egypt will come upon you. But in those first verses, it doesn't say anything about healing. And I got this revelation. You remove sickness and disease and all you have left is healing. All you have left, let me rephrase that, all you have left is health. What's God's will for you? Health. And so when you demand sickness and disease to leave you, what's left? Health. And your body has to begin to line up with what a healthy body is supposed to be like. You know, so here you go. But But I know something else. It talks about Prosperity. Isn't that interesting? It doesn't talk about health, but it talks about prosperity. Now you get in the later chapters, what it talks about is how the enemy wants to steal your prosperity, your provision, everything from you. And so when you remove that, what do you have? You have provision. Supply every one of our needs according to his riches and glory through Christ Jesus. But according to the blessing, that's not what God's satisfied with in our lives. He wants to have us abundantly prosperous above and beyond what we could think or imagine. Why? So that we can be a blessing to others. My health can't make somebody else healthier. But my understanding of health can demand sickness and disease to get off of somebody else so that they can be healthy. But my prosperity, it allows me to be a blessing to somebody else. I can assist you to bring you to that level of every need being met if I'm blessed above and beyond. Does this make any sense to you? I mean, to me, it just makes me want to jump out of my skin and turn some flips because I'll never know it within my skin. You know, but, but that's where God wants us to be, above and beyond. He wants us to be a blessing. God so loved that he gave. You know what? I can't give my life for you. By his stripes, We've been healed. I can't take enough stripes for the healing of your body. But you know what I can do? I can allow God to bless me to such an extent that I can give. Pastor, I think the church makes too much of material things. I don't. 
I don't think we make enough of the material things because it's through the material things that we can truly be a blessing to this world that we live in. And you know what? It all boils down to understanding the authority of the believer and recognizing what we're here for. If we can't go to preach, and guess what? To be able to go to preach, I've got to be blessed. If I'm not going to go to preach, then I have the assignment to send a substitute, to send somebody in my place. And you know what? I have to be blessed in order to do that. I personally believe until we're doing that, we're not fulfilling the plan, the purpose of God in our lives individually. So now I ended up meddling with everybody and now they're not going to want to come back next week because, you know, I ticked everybody off because, you know, that preacher, all he does is talk about money. But it's not nasty money that I'm talking about. I'm talking about good money. I'm talking about money that goes into the gospel of Jesus Christ so that all men can hear the truth. And that's what we're here for. Amen. Be blessed. In Jesus' name. Amen.